This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today I have two questions. Can I provide an update on the Gabby Petito Brian Laundry case? given the report that Brian Laundrie is dead? And what can we learn about narcissism and domestic violence from this case? Just a reminder, first I'll go through a quick summary of this case, along with the updated information, and then offer my analysis. 22-year-old Gabby Petito and 23-year-old Brian Laundrie were an engaged couple who lived in Northport, Florida, with Brian's parents. On July 2, 2021, after visiting Gabby's family in New York, the couple departed on a cross-country trip in a Ford van. It appears as though they wanted to establish some type of social media presence as they traveled to various locations like national parks. They were involved in a domestic violence incident on August 12 in Moab, Utah. Neither of them was arrested. Brian flew back to Florida on August 17, but then returned to Utah to reunite with Gabby. So their trip resumed. On August 24, The couple traveled to Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. At some point after this, probably between August 27 and August 29, Gabby was strangled and left in the National Park. Brian returned to Northport, Florida alone on September 1. Gabby was reported missing on September 11. Two days later, Brian disappeared. Gabby's body was found in Wyoming on September 19. A massive manhunt was initiated to locate Brian Laundry, although he was not charged with murder, rather illegally accessing a financial account belonging to Gabby. It seems likely that eventually he would have been charged with murder. On October 20, human remains and some personal belongings were found in a reserve in Florida not far from the Laundry family home. It was immediately clear that the personal belongings were the property of Brian Laundry. The area had previously been underwater, which may explain why the discovery was not made sooner. The next day, on October 21, the authorities confirmed that the human remains belonged to Brian Laundrie by using dental records. The case has drawn to a close with the death of Brian Laundrie. Now moving to my analysis. What happened in this case? Here's my theory based on the information available. This is just my opinion. I think that Gabby and Brian had a destructive and toxic relationship. Like many of these relationships, 
it was characterized by ambivalent feelings, so strong feelings in two directions. Feelings of fear and anxiety on one side, but on the other side, excitement and passion. The sum of those opposing forces was inaccurately perceived as leaning in a positive direction. So when adding and subtracting, there was like a net positive value. Again, the way they saw it, they saw a net positive value. One, of course, really wasn't there in reality. The couple was trying to find their way. They wanted excitement and adventure. They decided to take a road trip. It gave them a sense of purpose, and perhaps it was a distraction from their relational problems. In reality, the trip did not solve their problems. It amplified them. It is likely that the incident in Utah was one of many, not just the first time that something like that happened. Often when somebody's caught in a domestic violence situation, they have offended many times before that. Brian, who has been described as strange and temperamental, was a violent individual who was able to stay under the radar because he had Gabby in an isolated situation, traveling across the country in a van. Throughout the trip, Brian started to become more erratic. After almost getting arrested, he becomes particularly angry. He realizes at some level that there are consequences for his behavior. If he keeps being harmful, if he keeps mistreating Gabby, eventually he could be arrested. He becomes more angry with Gabby because he perceives that she's doing this to him. He believes he should be free of all consequences. He should not have to answer for any offense. He is resentful toward her for that incident on August 12th. Brian's bad behavior escalates. He lashes out at people at a restaurant. The stress on Gabby is so pronounced, she actually goes and apologizes to the people he offended. The wheels are coming off of the relationship. The combined force of Gabby's affection toward Brian and her increasing level of fear create a situation where she doesn't feel as though she can escape. At some point in late August, during some type of argument, Brian Laundrie loses control and strangles Gabby Petito. It probably was not premeditated. Rather, it was in the heat of the moment. Not being prepared, Brian doesn't know what to do once his rage subsides. He is now fearful of consequences. He has some awkward encounters with people in Wyoming. He tries hitchhiking with a couple of people. They view him as unusual and odd. He may have been trying to escape the area or build some type of alibi. Brian decides to flee to his parents in Florida. On his way, he uses an account belonging to Gabby to get money. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth, and together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Twenty-four hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. 
What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. After arriving in Florida, he tells his parents something that prompts them to hire an attorney. It may have also been that they figured it out. Brian came back alone, so they knew there was some type of problem that may have some legal ramifications. Brian goes on a camping trip with his family five days after he returned to Florida for the final time. Brian is struggling to regulate his emotions. He knows that he has committed murder. He is fearful about going to prison for the rest of his life. There is no way out. He doesn't have the resources to go on the run. He knows the authorities will find Gabby's body soon. He didn't do anything to hide her body, and the authorities knew approximately where she was. It's only a matter of time before he's arrested. For Brian, ownership is not an option. He cannot take responsibility. Brian decides to go to the reserve not far from his home and brings an end to his own life. It's not clear when that happened, but the authorities using dental records to identify his body suggest that it didn't happen just a few days before the discovery. He had probably died some time ago. The death of Brian Laundrie brings this case to its conclusion. We will never know exactly what happened. Considering the narcissistic characteristics that he likely possessed, in his final moments, he probably did not feel remorse. Rather, he was just feeling sorry for himself. During this whole situation, Brian was trying to exert control. He controlled when Gabby died, he controlled information, like not telling the authorities where her body was, and ultimately, he controlled his own exit strategy. He had about two weeks to consider his course of action. It was not impulsive. He knew full well what he was doing. In one sense, Brian Laundrie avoided justice. In another, he paid the ultimate price for his crime. There are many conflicted feelings about whether justice was served in this case. Moving to the next question. What does this case teach us about narcissism and domestic violence? A related question would be, how can similar crimes be prevented in the future? Both men and women can be perpetrators of domestic violence, but this case of course involved a man, so that's what I'll focus on. One of the keys to preventing domestic violence is understanding the tendencies among men who commit these types of offenses. Here is the profile of the most common characteristics among these types of perpetrators. Being between the ages of 20 and 34, unemployed or low employment, a criminal background, 70% have been arrested for at least a misdemeanor, 35% have been arrested for a felony, failure to take responsibility for offenses, always blaming the victim, and excessive drug use. As far as personality, several different features are evident, including antisocial, narcissistic, borderline, schizoid, and dependent. Many of the warning signs involve narcissism. That's the trait that really stands out. Offenders often have characteristics like being grandiose, self-centered, and having a sense of entitlement, as well as some characteristics specifically related to vulnerable narcissism, including 
being insecure, resentful, vindictive, full of shame, hypersensitive, and angry. In addition, we see antisocial characteristics like being deceptive, impulsive, and irresponsible. Here are some of the warning signs specifically around narcissistic and related traits. A man who is willing to destroy themselves, to destroy their partner. A man who seeks to control their partner, believes that they own their partner, develops a destiny mindset, like they can't picture a world without their partner, they're destined to be together, no other outcome is acceptable, threatens their partner by telling them they'll never find anyone as good as him, tries to make their partner feel inferior, and a man who suffers from narcissistic rage, a temper of any type, is an important warning sign. Moving to the last question, can a perpetrator like this ever change? The answer is technically yes, but in reality, it doesn't happen a lot. Interestingly, age is a major predictor of a decreased risk, so as a man grows older, their risk of offending drops dramatically. Older men are much safer from a standpoint of domestic violence. But age is only going to count for so much change. Just because someone is older doesn't automatically mean they're going to be safe. Counseling can help perpetrators, but a person has to want to recover. They have to want to make changes. That's the real problem. Narcissistic people are very resistant to change because they don't have insight or empathy. So back to that original question, what can people do to prevent situations like the Gabby Petito, Brian Laundrie case? Realistically, it's probably about mate selection more than anything else. Changing people is challenging, Putting up with the violence is not a good idea. It's all about picking the right person initially. No positive emotion like love, affection, passion, excitement, or comfort can outweigh high levels of anger, immaturity, narcissism, or low levels of empathy and insight. The presence of the undesirable traits should be the primary consideration. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download American Vigilante now.